Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, so that we might read the last two verses of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. May God, by His Holy Spirit, unite the subject of the First Assembly with this subject. May you understand that if Romans 1 through 6 are precious to you, then you are going to put forth great effort in your relationships, and I primarily want to emphasize family relationships, marriage and children. Malachi chapter 4 is a prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful introduction to the first verse of Matthew that says the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The last two verses of our Old Testament scriptures. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Elijah the prophet is John the Baptist, proven by Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 17, Luke chapter 1. The great and dreadful day of the Lord is the destruction of Jerusalem. The warning that came was from John the Baptist that the axe is now laid to the root of the tree. A fire is being fanned by God Almighty. The chaff would be thrown into that fiery furnace and the wheat would be gathered into God's garner. The ministry of John the Baptist would be one of family renewal and family revivals. Lest God would come and smite the Jewish nation, meaning the earth here, with a curse, which he did. Because though John had some effect on the nation, he did not turn the nation to the Lord. And the Lord came and cursed them with the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The prophetic parts of these verses are unimportant to what I want you to take out of them. And I've asked you to take this out of them before. And that is that the ministry of the greatest man ever born of women, as Jesus would say, his ministry is right there in the sixth verse, to turn the heart of fathers to the children, because that is what is supposed to happen first. Fathers to their children. Not children to their fathers. Why in the world would you put the responsibility on your children? Show them how to do it. You're supposed to be the leader of your family. Show them how to do it. To turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. And see this fulfilled in John the Baptist. Jesus would say he was the greatest born of women. If he were to have a marquee outside his church, what would it say was the topic for Sunday? 
Rules for relationships. Righteous relationships. Repent of your selfishness. Love your family. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. The angel to Zacharias about John the Baptist. Verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. I want to be like him. I want to preach his message. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, or Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. For the Lord God to dwell in your house, and for the Lord God to dwell in your marriage, you need to have relationships that he measures and approves. It says, a people prepared for the Lord, for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ among them, get their families right. This is not my emphasis, though I love it. This is the emphasis of God's Word. And I trust it. And I'm going to preach it. I don't want to preach anything else. If this man was great in the sight of the Lord, and this is what he preached, it's what I want to preach. But a people prepared for the Lord are a people that have their families together in love and peace. I also want you to notice... That by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are, we have a different second description in this passage when we compare it to Malachi 4. In Malachi 4 it was to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. In Luke 1 it's to turn, it's in verse 17, the hearts of the fathers to the children, but then look, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. The Lord wants disobedient children to become obedient children. The Lord wants dishonoring children to become honoring children. And He wants them to turn to the wisdom of the just. Now, not all fathers are wise or just. But if you're wise and just, and any father can be compared to his children, the Lord wants children turned to such men. Fathers is here defined as a wise and just man. Every father, tremble before the Word of God and these little tiny idiosyncrasies of Scripture where we would have a definition in one place for a phrase in another. And the definition says quite a bit more. A people prepared for the Lord. Do you want the Lord's blessing in your family? I want the Lord's blessing in my family. My father wants the Lord's blessing In his family. And I believe the Bible. And so it's the Lord speaking to you. It is not me speaking to you. It is the Lord. When he sent John the Baptist, this is what he preached. When the event was as earth shattering as the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ from a virgin's womb. And the destruction of Jerusalem, which was the greatest tribulation the world has ever seen. When it was that huge of an event. The message that comes is, get your families right. Right. It's it's possible. It's easy. But it doesn't allow for selfishness. It doesn't allow for slothfulness. It doesn't allow for anything that is contrary to the Word of God. And I want this for you. And I have wanted it for you. 
And I've wanted it for you as long as I've been ordained to the ministry. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. I hope that everyone here is wise enough, humble enough, to understand that if you are thinking about anyone else in this assembly, you have already written your family off. May you rot together. The Lord Jesus Christ, if he was in this pulpit, he would tell you, instead of worrying about the moat in someone else's eye, get the beam out of your own. And that applies to every single one of us, including me. I'm staring at about 30 pairs of eyes that are somehow related to me. I know about it. Don't you be thinking about anybody else. The Lord Jesus Christ says, if you think you're a surgeon and you want to help somebody else by hoping that they're listening to this preaching, in order for you to be an effective surgeon to remove that moat, which is a speck of dust from their eye, you might want to think about removing the telephone pole from your own. Keep that in mind. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge. That's your wife. Understand women. Know women. They aren't men. They're not going to be men. She's not you. She ain't going to be like you. Thanks be to God. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honor. 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 Her. Giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, so you're pitiful and merciful, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, we believe in sexual equality before the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely, entirely, and totally. There is no male, no female in Christ Jesus. Her name is just as bold And printed just as well in the book of life as yours. It's not an asterisk next to yours that you have to go hunt in the appendix to find her name. That your prayers be not hindered. Wow. If God will not listen to our prayers when I am not dwelling knowledgeably with my wife and I'm not giving honor unto her, and I'm not showing her mercy because she's the weaker vessel. That shows its seriousness in the Bible. I know I've preached these verses before. How do I make them real to you? God, you have to make them real to them. And you have to make them real to me. But this is weighty. This is powerful. Now, how does a man know if he's a good husband or not? Oh, you are hoping I wouldn't bring that one up again. How does a man know if he's a good husband or not? How happy is his wife with him in her innermost soul that she never, ever tells him? Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Well, my wife always tells me that I'm perfect. Yes, and my wife tells me when I look in the mirror and say, I need to lose some weight, I love you just the way you are. And I say, you need a doctor. Not for your eyes only, but for your heart as well. 
What a gracious woman. (laughs) Wives are never going to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help them God. Because it would be a disruption to domestic tranquility, meaning you couldn't handle it. You say, well, my wife's different. No, she isn't. She's not different. She tells you as much as you tell your boss what you think about them. (laughs) Oh, I didn't like the way you just put that. I never tell my boss what I think about him, but I always tell my wife what I think about him. You mean I'm giving her a bad example that she's probably thinking and talking to somebody else about what she thinks? You created the situation. I didn't. Malachi chapter 2. But I want to raise the, I want to raise it a little higher. The Lord measures us men toward our wives, and the Lord measures us men toward our children, and the Lord measures wives toward their husbands. Because I will remind you, the wife was made for the husband, and the husband was not made for the wife. Your burden is greater to please your husband than your husband's burden to please you. But I want to raise it a little higher. It's not just what your wife thinks about you in her innermost soul as to how happy she is and how well you take care of her and how much you love her and how much you honor her. It's what the Lord thinks as he looks into her soul in her most intimate devotions with him and weighs her spirit. Because I want to tell you something. The Lord has a bottle. The Bible says that has every tear of your wife. Every tear of your wife is held in the Lord's bottle. And every tear of a husband is held in the Lord's bottle. And if a husband has to go to bed at night with his loins burning because his wife is defrauding him, she's in danger of hell fire. I just want to keep the playing field equal. It's crueler than adultery. Malachi chapter 2. I want you to understand about the Lord. The Lord in verses 11 through 16 is condemning the treachery of the husbands in Israel toward their wives. The particular crime that he mentions is that they have married foreign wives. And they are practicing polygamy, which God did not design for our race. And that's the general context. The polygamy is in verse 15. The treachery is in verse 16. The 14 has the treachery. The marrying foreign wives is in verse 11. All I want is one verse. I want verse 13. And this have ye done again. Covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. If he, if he doesn't regard your offering, that's bad enough. But what if he regards your offering with evil will, since he doesn't regard it with good will anymore, men? He sees your wife's tears, that she won't cry in front of you. That's a pretty high standard. See, Sherry isn't mine. And Sherry isn't Walt Mosley's. Sherry is the God of heavens. He took a ribbon. He made a help meet for Jonathan Crosby. 
And he brought her to him. And he said, woman. And they got married. And they've been married for 33, 34 years and two months. 34 years. I want you to be light, but I want you to be as sober as a cemetery. If this pleases my God and your God, and if he's measuring us this way, then we want this to be so important to us. But she isn't Walt Mosley's and she's not mine. He gave her to me. It's still not mine. She's the Lord's. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you how much this means to me and how much I believe this. I want to tell you. When I catch her in private devotions, reading her Bible and praying, she don't need to write me any note. She doesn't have to leave any preaching book or tape on my desk about being a better husband. Because all I can think about her is this passage. This passage has scared me since I was about 20 years old. That any tear that comes out of her when she's at his altar, I'm going to be held accountable for it. Because she isn't mine and she's not Walt Mosley's. She is the Lord's. And we are heirs together of the grace of life. She is easily as important in the sight of God as Jonathan Crosby. There is no male nor female. I wish you'd do it where I can't catch you. I want all of you to fear that verse. But I want every woman in here to fear just as much that if your husband's lying in that bed and he's going to bed without being sexually released by, sexually released by his wife, hell fire's waiting for you. Let's keep it equal here, right? The ways of the Lord are equal. Except you were made for him. He wasn't made for you. You say, well, I was tired. He doesn't care. I don't care. And especially God doesn't care. All things are equal in the sight of the Lord. Let's keep them that way. Remember that I've tried to address both of you. This is the ministry of John the Baptist, the greatest God ever sent. What was his ministry? Family revival. His ministry was so practical. Remember Luke 3? 10 through 14, the people came and said, what should we do? He had something for them. The publicans came and said, what should we do? He had something different for them. The soldiers said, what should we do? He had something for them. His ministry was so practical on how to please the Lord and be fit for the coming of Christ to the nation of Israel. That's how practical his ministry was. And ministries should be practical. We love doctrine. We, we divide doctrine so tightly that we have five phases of salvation, seven proofs of unconditional eternal life, the incarnate sonship of Jesus Christ. We make divisions all over the Bible. But the, we want practical, spiritual religion. And that is the closest, most personal places where we tend to let our hair down, where we tend to compromise out of the sight of others. God wants us to seek peace and love and unity and happiness with all our might. Wrong relationships bring a curse. Did you read it? Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The Lord requires right relationships. 
Because you don't do heroin, sell porn to children, go to Catholic Mass, have a Buddha in your backyard, drink beer, wear immodest sweaters, or allow rock music in your children's bedrooms isn't proof of very much at all. If your relationships are poor, do your children delight in being around you? If not, why not? It's your fault. Whose fault do you think it is? If you think it's their fault, you're an idiot. And you've never read the Bible. And you're a rebel and a scorner in the face of God. The Bible says, as a general rule, fathers are the glory of their children. Does the Bible say that? Or am I blowing in the wind? If children no longer glory in their father, it's because the father gave away his glory by being an idiot. And he can be an idiot in a many number of ways. By selfish slothfulness. That's the rule. I believe it. I trust it. When I read something in Proverbs and it says something, I just believe it. You want to see it for yourself? It's Proverbs 17.6. I don't want you to think that I'm making something up. Here's what it says. Children's children are the crown of old men. And the glory of children are their fathers. Isn't it a wonderful way to get a child? That little child comes into the world. Daddy is so big. Mommy loves him. Hugs on him. Talks about him. I hope. In your household. Can't wait for daddy to get home from work. Gets the children all dressed. The house all prepared. The table covered with food. Because the most important man in the world is coming home. The glory of children. Their father. They see mommy. I can't get the top off, honey. (laughs) She faked it just to make you look good. She hands it to you. And you whip the top off. And little Johnny sitting in the high chair. Wow. Did you see that thing? He about popped out. I thought he was going to hulk out on us. I'm as serious as I can be, but I want you to love this subject. And I want you to love your children. And I want you to recognize that if you aren't the glory of your children, it's because you gave it away. They were hoping that you'd be the glory of their lives. As they got older, you Stole it from them. Big sis asks a hard question. Mommy says, I don't know. You'll have to ask your dad. Big sis, big sis asks dad. And dad has the answer. And mommy says to big sis, isn't your dad smart? I hope this happens in your house. Little little Johnny grows up. Wow, he's faster than... My dad could whip you. Come here, you little punk. My dad could whip your dad so easy. That's the biggest debate in the third grade. <laughs> my dad could whip your dad at anything. My dad makes more than your dad. My, my dad's nicer than your dad. Look what I got for bail mass. What'd you get for bail mass? 
It's all about comparing dads. Because fathers are the glory of their children, and I believe the verse. Anybody in here that wants to defy the word of God by disagreeing with it, rot in your family. Anybody that wants to say it's too late, I've done too much to hurt my family, there is forgiveness with the Lord, and His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts higher than our thoughts, and He is able to abundantly pardon. There is none like Him in heaven or in earth. And you can confess whatever you have done as a father and a husband, and the Lord is merciful, and He forgives. He restores the years of the canker worm. He's better than I could ever imagine or dream of. I love Him and thank Him for His mercy and His grace. And you don't know what you're talking about. And all of that is just said so that you're not using excuses inside your head to avoid the power of God's Word. The way of transgressors is hard. Trouble's going to come to punish you if you transgress what I'm teaching you right now. Do your children delight in you? Do they see you moody? Do they see you critical all the time? They have tender little souls. Do you pity them like the Lord pities children? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're, you're giving away the glory He gave you. He crowns you before them. What are some rules? Scripture's the only authority in the measure of whether we're a good father or not. We may say we believe every word of God, but our living, our living and our lives is far more important about how much we trust and believe the word of God. I don't care what your family's agreed to do. I don't care that you've agreed that husbands and wives are going to be a little closer to equal in the pecking order of your home. I don't care that you've agreed on that because you came from some twisted home that had an odious, overbearing, rebellious wife. doesn't matter. God doesn't care about your opinions. He doesn't care what mama did. He doesn't care what grandmama did. All the Lord cares about is what the Bible says. And the Bible says that a wife is supposed to love her husband and reverence her husband and obey her husband and submit to her husband. Period. And a wife is to give her husband everything that he needs sexually so that he won't be thinking anywhere else. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. It's what the Bible says. Ideas from examples, ideas from experiences, feelings that you have. Well, that just seems so harsh to me. That seems so extreme to me. You're all wrong. It's the Word of God. If it seems extreme to you, it's because you have compromised your thinking with the thoughts of this world. His thoughts and His ways and His words are perfectly balanced for the ultimate happiness of His creation. They are never extreme. You are extremely wrong forever suggesting that inside or outside about God's Word. He is right. I don't care about your conscience. Your conscience is nothing compared to the Word of God. Damn your conscience if it ever rears its ugly head against God's Word. Educate your conscience. You've been educating your conscience in Ladies Home Journal. You've been educating your conscience in Bill Gothard's material, who's not man enough to marry a woman. You say, well, he might have had noble reasons. He might have. Why would you read him about being a husband? It's the Word of God. That's our first rule. Whatever the Bible says about relationships is what's important to us. 
It doesn't matter what you've agreed on as a family. It doesn't agree what traditions or habits you have. Throw them all out the window and grab God's Word and hold on to it like the anchor for your family. But it's the only thing that's going to save you is to do it God's way. And God's way is actually a wonderful way. It's full of love and peace and joy and care and interest in each other. It's wonderful. It gets better and better. And I want to help it get better and better. Children, thank you for fulfilling the next verse I want to go to. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is going to hurt. Say, well, you just don't know my children. (laughs) No, I don't know your children. They're so much better than I was at their age that I don't know them. What in the world are you whining about? You just don't know my children. Well, I know a devil that inhabited a child's body from about the eighth grade on. But I know what the Bible says. And if you try to tell me you don't know my children, their hearts are full of so much malice and wickedness toward their parents, I'll say, you sowed every bit of it. You stuffed every bit into their hearts because you were their glory until you perverted it by your wicked lifestyle in the home. Because my second witness that I'm going to bring to bear And I'm going to bring three witnesses into the court of justice for the Lord to issue his sentence from heaven about fathers and children, mothers and children not getting along. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children. But in understanding, be men. What does that verse say? You know what that verse says? Children, forgive parents. And 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 if your children haven't forgiven you, it's because you taught them how not to forgive people. It's because you ran out your 1,576,219 times of forgiveness. Because the Bible says, and this is from the pen of God, children don't hold malice. You can hurt a child, and the next day, Play with them, and they do not remember the previous day's hurt until they become men, and if you haven't cleared yourself with them, then they will hate your guts. But children don't have malice. There's so much I want to say to you. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Colossians 3.21, the word mothers are hid in secret ink underneath the word fathers. 
but it's primarily addressed to fathers. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Okay. I'm simple, and I am mathematical. I I try to be logical. The Bible says that children don't have malice. Malice is anger. This says, fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Oh, children can get angry. Well, it's from their wicked little hearts. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's from their wicked parents that provoke them to anger and discourage them. That's where it comes from. You got to start out as their glory. They don't have malice. You put it there. You were too critical, too negative, too moody, too overbearing, too busy, weren't happy with your spouse, so they saw an ugly marriage their entire life, yelling. If there's ever yelling in a house, do you know what it is? It's a parent admitting that I'm a total failure, a rebel against God, and cannot do my job. Don't ever yell in your house. Yelling is an indication, a clear, plain indication, that you have no authority. Why are you yelling? Anyone with authority can say the word, and it's done. The centurion said, I say go, and he goeth. I say come, and he cometh. If you have to yell, it's because you have no authority, because you gave it away. You say, well, I have to yell because they don't hear me the first four times. That's the, thank you for confirming my point. You're a failure. You say, I yell because we always yell. What a terrible house to live in. Oh! Give me some peace and quiet. Well, I yell because my mother always yelled at me. Well, the devil yells at his demons. That is not proof or evidence for anything. I've raised three witnesses to you. Fathers are the glory of their children unless they give it away. Children will forgive almost anything, and they'll forgive it for a long, long time until you teach them how not to forgive or you make their life so unbearable with your hatred and unforgiveness in your home that they will eventually not forgive you because you provoked them to that anger. Say, what do we do? Repent! Repent! And love them. And confess. You say, I can't confess to my children. It'd be an admission of weakness. They know because you can't confess that you're incredibly weak. You're hopeless. Confession doesn't make a man weaker. What could Rehoboam have done to have had ten tribes serve him with zeal for the rest of his life? Backed off a little bit and spoken Kindly. With what kind of words? Good words. Soft words. He could have repented 
and apologized for his father's onerous taxation of that nation. It's not a sign of weakness. If a past president that we had, that had a terrible liaison with a Monica, would have come clean before this nation, this nation would have forgiven him in one night. 100%. It doesn't reduce authority. It shows an authority higher than you and gives you moral integrity that they will never find anywhere else. It shows the authority of God controlling you for their benefit, which is the most secure, happy, comfortable, peaceful relationship that they could ever have. I do not want to use very many personal experiences, but I have likely confessed more to more than you have. I do not think I am a doormat to very many of them, to any of them. Faith trusts God to reward diligence in these matters. Satan says, if you give all you should give, they're going to take advantage of you. Wisdom doesn't say that. Love doesn't say that. God never says that. If you hear what he's saying right now, and if you were to go home and just pour yourself out to your little children, or if you were just to go pour yourself out to your wife, she or they are going to take advantage of you. I want to tell you who's talking. It's the devil. Jesus would say, get thee behind me, Satan, to somebody saying that. You're not trusting God. Do you you understand my point? If God said it, then for us to do with all our might, pouring ourselves out there as godly fathers, pouring ourselves out. You say pouring, that's usually describing love. Yes. Pouring out love toward our wives and our children. They're going to take advantage of it. Wrong. That's the devil trying to keep you from doing God's will. If you give all you should give, the devil says, you'll have nothing left for you. Oh, no. The greater blessing is in the giving. The greater blessing is in the loving. Because the family that responds is greater than anything you could have by force. Submission by force? I'll get you a rubber dummy. You can't make somebody submit. There's no one in here strong enough. The Lord expects us to win it. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church, who beat it daily with a baseball bat until it did just what he wanted it to do. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might might purify to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that he might present it to himself. Look, think about that. When the devil says, if you give all you should, you'll have nothing for you. Oh yeah, you'll have the best for you. The man who loves his wife the most gets the most in return. That's a simple equation. Satan says, if you give all you should give, how will that make you happy? Because God said so. God created the whole universe. And if God says one way works, it works. 
Satan says it takes two to make a happy marriage. It's a two-way street. Really? I thought it said husbands. Do you know that it never says husbands and wives? It says husbands. It's a one-way street. It's your street. I have heard that. It is a one-way street. It is your street. It is your way. What your wife is doing doesn't have one thing to do with what you're supposed to do as a husband. What your children are doing doesn't have one thing to do with what you are supposed to be doing as a parent from a parent's perspective. It's a one-way street. That's the devil trying to excuse your slothfulness and wickedness because someone else is derelict in their duties. And they're usually far less derelict in their duties than you are in yours using theirs for an excuse. Satan says, this extreme preacher only talks of things that would fit a perfect spouse. That's from the devil. God didn't say anything like that. He just said, wives, reverence your husbands. If if that's perfection in your mind, then start doing it. Satan says if you don't rebel and contend a little, things are just going to fall apart. Satan says they can't do it without you. Oh, yes, they can. They could do it a whole lot better, and they'd be a whole lot happier. Why don't you contract a fatal one this afternoon, and I'll tell you about it a couple years from now. Satan says, if you take the authority and lead like the pastor's preaching, you're going to make mistakes. Of course we are. Thank God for Jesus Christ's blood that washes us and cleanses us from all iniquity. If you take the authority and lead, you'll lose your family. Wrong. Love and lead God's way. Relationships are a commandment. From the God of heaven, they are not an option. I'm not dealing today with you about if you want to improve your relationships, here are a few suggestions. I'm dealing with you today about a commandment that comes from God. Turning the hearts of the fathers to their children first. Do you know what kind of a selfish pig a parent is? that expects his children to come crawling to him first? My children, if I don't outdo you by a factor of two to one in anything that I expect from you, then God do so to me and more also. This is not an optional thing. This is to keep our prayers from being hindered. This is to empty God's bottle so that there's no tears in it. This is to clean his altar so that there's no weeping over it. This is to be a people prepared for the Lord. We're not dealing with if you want to improve your relationships. I've got the four R's on better relationships straight from Joel Osteen. What I've got is thus saith the Lord. Amen. We're dealing with the way of transgressors is hard. Do you believe that verse? Proverbs 13, 15. I have experienced that verse in my life. I believe... Forget that. Who cares? How do I know Proverbs 13, 15 is true? It's because it's in here. Proverbs 13, 15. The way of transgressors is hard. If you don't love your children rightly, you say, well, how am I supposed to know how to do it? Okay. I'm going to tell you in just a second. Hold that thought and say it if I forget it. Because I've left my outline. I'm scared. 
we go with, thus saith the Lord. Because God said it, we believe it. The way of transgressors is hard. You cheat in your marriage. You cheat with your children by compromising what God has said we should do as fathers and mothers, as husbands and wives. It is going to come back to bite you, and it's not going to be a little terrier. Jonah thought he could go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Did it bite him? Swallowed him. You don't have the right to consider this sermon. You have the responsibility to do it. You can't say we've agreed to have a marriage like the one we have if it differs, if it differs from God's holy, authoritative, romantic, sexual model presented in the Bible. You are responsible to treat your wife the way that the Bible describes. And you are responsible to treat your husband the way that the Bible describes. Let me conclude. How do I know how to be a good father? I have... I have enough to take me through the end of the year. And I'm shuffling papers up here to give you one more thought. The Lord has struck me with this thought this week, trying to think of how to communicate to parents how to love their children better. I hope I can convey it in a couple minutes. Copy God, your Father. Copy God, your Father. These are not the quaint sayings of Jonathan Crosby. This is what the Bible tells us to be like as a father. Look at Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. Quickly, it will only be a few minutes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said... This is the corrupt thinking of the Jews, which is the corrupt thinking of parents that are failures. You've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But when the kids treat me like that, I'm going to show them who's boss. Okay. Right. Sometimes your kids are your enemies. What's the way to win an enemy? Enemy. Love. You say, I'm going to do it by force. Ha, ha, ha. You'll never do it by force. I can't wait till they hang you. I'll cut you down. Won't give you a Christian burial, but I'll cut you down. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Well, when my kids treat me right, I love them. I make cookies for them. I pat them good night when they go to bed. When they love me, I love them. When they hate me, I'm going to show them what real hatred's like. That's how the Jews thought. But I say unto you, here's another inspired disjunctive, but something totally different. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I have parents like that. I was the enemy. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. This is how we show that we are God's children. This is not how we become regenerated. This is how we show that we're God's children by showing His character. 
For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Sometimes your children are just, sometimes they are unjust. Sometimes your children are good, sometimes they are evil. But God is always one way. He's blessed me with this. I'm condemned by it, but I'm excited about it because I want to practice it better. For if you love them which love you, parents that says, when they treat me right, I'll treat them right. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We can be perfect fathers, and the way we're perfect fathers is to treat our children like the Father in heaven treats us. He is so merciful to me. He does not pound me every time I sin. He does not criticize everything I do. I criticize everything I do. But He doesn't. He remembers my frame. He knows I'm dust. And we should do that as parents. We are to copy His conduct. This is how you love your children. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Lover. That was a lumberjack carrying out a little girl who's only two years old. Tough love. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Acts fourteen seventeen. This is my Father in heaven. Is this your Father in heaven? Oh, I've had some great days this week. Just on my deck with myself and the Lord. He is so good. Look at the... I've given you this verse before. Nevertheless... Well, let's get verse 16. Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. God let the Gentiles walk in their own ways. He never gave them his religion. He gave his religion to Israel. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. They may not have had the Bible, and they didn't. Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20. But he left them. He did not leave himself without witness. And here's what his witness was. In that he did good. And gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. That is how you're a good father and a good mother. That is how you win your children. That is what God does to us every day. That's why, was was it every day this week? Was this past week unbelievable? Was one day exceeded by another day, exceeded by another day, with the bluest sky and the nicest temperature and humidity and clouds and changing leaves? Do you know what, do you know what effort he had to go through to tip, to tip, tip the earth to 23 and one third degrees in order to give you seasons? You say he just spoke it. Forget my analogy then. But you know, he tipped that thing so that I could have changing leaves in the backyard against that blue sky and white clouds. I love this verse. I love this verse. He left a witness. He did good. Rain from heaven, we had that in Matthew 5. Fruitful seasons, prosperity, lots of stuff. Filling our hearts with food and gladness. 
He fills my heart with food and gladness. I do not like talking about my experiences with the Lord. But once in a while I will. He fills my heart with food and gladness. He blows my mind. I am the least to have his blessings. This is how you should treat your children. How much gladness have you put in their heart? Have you filled their heart with gladness? You say they always get three squares a day at my house. They do in Siberia. They do in every prison. Gladness. Gladness. Some of your children would do anything for your approval and your affection. Not your criticism. He doesn't criticize me. He comforts me. He warns me gently. But he's always smiling and hugging me when he does it. Every time I'm reading the Bible, he's got his arms around me. Can you match his goodness? He would say, if you being evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, that's trying to fulfill Acts 14. If you being evil try to fulfill Acts 14, when your son asks you a fish, you don't give him a stone. When he asks bread, you don't give him a serpent. When he asks an egg, you don't give him a scorpion. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Father in heaven give good things to those that ask him? A 17-year-old boy prayed for the marrying kind, got the best wife in the world. And it goes on from there. He knows how to give good gifts. Do you know what I want to try to do as a father? Don't let your smiles get too big, children. But I want to try to be like that father in heaven. I wrestle with the Lord. I wrestle with his word. I wrestle with discouragement. I want to be able to give things as plainly as I can from God's word to all of you parents. And I'm telling you, this is so plain to me, I just wish I could make it plain to you. I want to copy God in how he treats his enemies. I want to copy God in his goodness. I want to copy God in his pity. A verse I have to use more in prayer than you probably do is Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He remembereth their frame that they are dust. Do my children disappoint me? Once in a while. Once in a while. But you know what? I disappoint the Lord. Taking all seven children and their spouses is 14 cubit. It's this big mass. I disappoint the Lord more. He remembers my frame. He's very merciful. So that's what I want to be. I leave with you. Copy God. He tells us to copy him. He says, be like your father in heaven. He left a witness. He left a witness that was always there, that any time a Gentile came in contact with a Hebrew that was teaching about Jehovah, they had this whole vast reservoir of experience to match up instantly. A witness of what? Terror? A witness of what? Threatenings? A witness of moody withdrawal? What kind of a witness? Good. Filling their hearts with gladness. Let that be the witness, because no one else in the world will ever give them that.
the time is over.